This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the teachers' union is not the only group asking the governor to keep campuses closed until the start of the new school year. The Florida PTA and four different medical groups are making that very same request. The first inmates have died of coronavirus in the state prison system. The Department of Corrections kept it quiet for more than a week, but the fatalities have been confirmed by the medical examiner who does not work for the DOC. A shakeup at the state unemployment office. Ken Lawson is still running the Department of Economic Opportunity, but the governor has ordered the director of the Department of Management Services to tackle the agency's computer problems that kept hundreds of thousands of people from being able to apply for unemployment. Florida Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott weigh in on the COVID-19 pandemic. Scott wants more testing and blames China for the outbreak. Rubio says it's up to state and local governments to decide when we go back to work, and he questions the wisdom of putting Donald Trump's name on all those $1,200 stimulus checks. The statewide lockdown is bad news for victims of domestic violence. It means they are basically trapped at home with their abuser. The head of a shelter in Palm Beach County has some tips if you're in a bad place. State Representative Chevron Jones goes to bat for Joe Biden, hosting a virtual town hall meeting with the presidential candidate and former vice president. We'll take a deep dive later in the podcast. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the latest from Florida Man, who picked the wrong way to remind people to wear a mask in public. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, April 16th. The latest stats from the health department show more than 22,500 confirmed cases of coronavirus, 614 fatalities, 43 Floridians have died over the past 24 hours. Two inmates at Blackwater River Correctional Facility in northwest Florida have died as a result of COVID-19. Department of Corrections officials kept their deaths a secret for nearly a week, but News Service of Florida got confirmation from the medical examiner's office. 84-year-old William Wilson and 69-year-old Jeffrey Sand appear to be the first two COVID-19-related deaths among the state's roughly 94,000 inmates. Chances are there will be many more. It's DMS to the rescue at DEO. The Department of Economic Opportunity runs the state's unemployment system, and that turned out to be a fuster cluck. The computerized system collapsed when all those people laid off because of coronavirus tried to file a claim, and the state has already spent more than $100 million just trying to patch things together. Now Governor Ron DeSantis has ordered the director of the Department of Management Services to take charge of the fix. Under normal circumstances, it takes about three weeks uh, from the initial claim being filed until an unemployment uh, check is sent out, and and it's been my judgment that that's too long, um, particularly under these circumstances. Um, And so I am seeking ways to be able to process this as expeditiously as possible. It's not a time to get bogged down in bureaucracy or red tape, and accordingly, um, I am appointing the director of our uh, Department of Management services, Secretary John Satter, uh, to take over the COVID-19 response uh, at the Department of Economic Opportunity. John has helped us a lot, getting us where we needed to be on the call centers. He's also helped us with getting these servers where they need to be. And, um, you know, his mission is very simple. Um, Get assistance out as quickly as you can. Um, He obviously oversees the division uh, of the state government where we have the state technology. Um, He has staff resources and understanding of the complex technological issues that are plaguing the department uh, department's response uh, regarding the unemployment system. So Ken Lawson will continue in his role for things non-COVID related, um, but, I, but I hope that John can get in there, you know, rattle the cage and, and, and get it. The governor says it's also time to start planning for what comes next in Florida. Did somebody say task force? 
It obviously is prudent to start thinking about and planning uh, for people getting back to work and getting society functioning uh, in a more healthy way. So I am going to be putting together a task force uh, for the resurgence and reopening of Florida. What I want to do is tap into people in elected office, people in business, uh, people are involved in, in education and all kinds of things and, and get the best ideas about you know, what's the most prudent way to move forward. So we'll be, I'll be seeking advice and, and, and ideas on you know, pretty much everything under the sun, small business, agriculture, restaurants, tourism, large events and conventions, recreation, um, international travel, uh, K through 12, as well as higher education. There are a whole host of things uh, that we need to be thinking about. One thing they're definitely thinking about is when do the kids go back to school? Representatives of four statewide medical organizations have joined with the Florida PTA, asking the governor not to reopen school campuses next month and finish off the school year with remote teaching. The letter, which was also sent to the Department of Health Secretary, the Education Commissioner, was signed by the presidents of the Florida Chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Florida Chapter of the American College of Physicians, the Florida Osteopathic Medical Association, and the Florida Academy of Family Physicians. The governor says he has not decided about whether to reopen campuses on May 1st for the remainder of the academic year. The Florida Education Association also sent a letter to DeSantis earlier this week asking that school campuses remain closed and students continue distance learning. Florida's senior senator in Washington says it'll be up to state and local governments to decide when their people go back to work, not the feds, not the president. Marco Rubio took part in a Facebook live chat with state representative Chevron Jones and state senator Oscar Brannon to talk about the impact of coronavirus in Florida. Never seen anything like this. This is like a daily hurricane in terms of the impact on the economy. And we haven't seen the tail of it from an economic perspective. And then obviously the human cost is extraordinary in terms of the infections. Uh, we woke up this morning to the news that two nurses here locally at the Palmetto Hospital in Hialeah have lost their lives. And I fear you could see more of it. So it's a very difficult situation for all. It's a moment where leaders need to be transparent and, and tell the hard truths about it. Number one, you know, as long as there is no immunity to this virus, meaning as long as there's no vaccine or herd immunity or a combination of both built up, there are going to be infections and there are going to be deaths. And that's the unfortunate truth about it. And uh, number two is that if we have any kind of restriction lessening, even with restrictions in place, we're seeing infections. If you allow people to come into contact with more people, that number of infections is going to go up. And unfortunately, the number of deaths as well. The third hard truth, though, is what, we do, what we're doing right now is not sustainable. In essence, you cannot keep the country and our community in this situation for 18 months or 12 months. I don't even know if you can keep it for six months. It's just not a sustainable deal. And, uh, and so really the question is going to start to become, you know, what if, if we have to move away from some of this at some point in the near term, I don't know when the right date is or when that happened, you know, can we do it in a way that manages but not eliminates the risk? And the expectations have to be clear. If our expectations are there's not going to be any surge in infections or any surge in mortality, it's not a realistic expectation. If the expectation is that things are going to go back to the way they were March 1st, that's also not a realistic expectation. If the expectation is we're going to keep things the way they are now for as long as it takes, that's also completely unrealistic, uh, including compliance issues. People are going to stop complying with these rules after a while. So the key is, do, do we... Can, can we um, develop a system to test people rapidly, identify cases, isolate them, and contact trace people around them? Have we built up enough capacity in our hospitals and healthcare institutions so that um, they can handle a future surge? 
Number three, what what restrictions are going to have to stay in place? Is it you know there's going to we're not going back to March first right away. There are going to be some restrictions that remain in place for a substantial period of time, uh, no matter what we do in reopening. Number four, I think the most important is have we developed an antiviral treatment that changes the nature of this disease? In essence, keeps people off of ventilators, maybe out of ICUs, maybe out of hospitals altogether. And I think there is some near-term hope that a couple of the drugs being tested out there will show enough promise and treatments will show enough promise to give doctors options about how to keep people from losing their lives over this. So it's a very delicate situation and, and one that I think you're gonna see made at the local and state level and appropriately so because every state and every community has some nuances to it that need to be adjusted for. The first of those $1,200 checks from the COVID-19 stimulus package are being printed today after a slight delay because the Treasury Department was told to put Donald Trump's name on all of them. That has never happened before. The president is not an authorized signer for legal disbursements from the U.S. Treasury, and it's standard practice for a civil servant to sign to ensure the government programs are considered nonpartisan. Senator Rubio says he would not have done it, but he also thinks there are bigger fish to fry. I probably wouldn't have done that in terms of my name on it. But I mean, in the scheme of things, I mean, if you be honest, I mean, I'm not saying people can have an opinion on it or whatever it might be. But in the broader scheme of things, you know, we, we people are dying. Terrible things right. are happening. That's probably like number 942 on that list of things that right. I'm focused on. Well, one thing I remind people of politics will always exist. Right. I'm not saying that if people made mistakes. They shouldn't be held accountable. They did things that you don't agree with. They shouldn't be held accountable. We're going to have an election in November. One way or the other is going to be an election and, and there'll be elections after that. So accountability is going to happen. But the only thing I argue is we can't let politics will continue. It's going, we're still a republic. We still have political opinions. We still have a First Amendment. The issue is we can't let that, however, get in the way of dealing with the things that we do have to deal with. Right. And that, that I think we got to figure out how to do both and not allow one to impede the other. Um, so. You know, I get why people want to cover and talk about it. I, I just learned about it this morning. I didn't even read the article. I just read the headline. But I'm not deflecting them to tell you that I probably wouldn't have done that, you know, just because I knew it would create all this controversy. But um, uh, but it certainly isn't like the top issue facing the country. I think most people don't care whose name is on it as long as they get the check, to be honest with you. That last comment drew an amen from State Senator Oscar Brainin, who appeared with Rubio during the live chat. Yeah, I have to agree that I think... The most important thing is getting that check to people, man. You know, whoever's signature on it, it could be Donald Duck as far as I'm concerned. I think that we just, people are, people need those resources. Rick Scott's favorite campaign slogan has always been, let's get to work. But the junior senator from Florida says there's no way to tell when that will happen right now. Scott, who took part in a video conference hosted by the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association, says more people need to be tested for COVID-19. I'm hoping that um, because of the social isolation uh, that we're going to get opened uh, sooner than we think. I think the key is going to be, do we continue to try to get the number of new cases down? Uh, do we make sure that we have robust testing? Uh, we need to, in my opinion, we need to have more testing uh, for more test locations, easier to get tests for people that think they're positive. Uh, and then they know whether they need to quarantine and know the people around them need to quarantine. And then on top of that, we need to know who has had it and they have the antibodies so they don't have any risk. So I've been doing everything I can to help make sure uh, at every level of government uh, in the private sector, we are able to get the, uh, the, uh, the testing uh, ramped up as fast as, as fast as we can. I think it's gonna be incumbent upon all of our business community to start thinking about how do you re reopen and what are the standards gonna be and what, how you're gonna entice people to come back. Even if government says 
they want to open, that, that they're okay with people opening up their businesses, is a customer going to show up again? Uh, and so I think it's going to require, uh, you know, some changes in how, in our business model. And it's probably going to change, uh, you know, there's going to be some different uh, standards with regard to what people need to wear as far as protective gear. So I've suggested to everybody uh, in the state that they figure out how they're going to get a local source for protective gear because everybody and their brother is still going to need um, all this protective gear that is produced overseas. And so if we don't have a local supply of that, I think it's going to be even, even though people are going to get open, it's good. We're not going to be, are they going to be said they can open if they don't have the protective gear? A lot of that protective gear is now manufactured in China. And Scott says that needs to change because he blames China for the COVID crisis. China was not transparent. No question about that, right? You know, they lied to us and said there was no human to human transmission. The WHO participated with them in doing this. Uh, it was clearly, clearly intentional what they did. Um, and uh, the, so I think we have to, we have to understand China is not a competitor. They are not our competitor. They are adversary, right? And their non-transparency was intentional. And so we have to say to ourselves, when we buy something um, that's produced in China, we are helping them, one, take American jobs, number two, uh, steal our technology, number three, they have over a million people in the prison in China just for their religion, uh, number four, they're trying to take away basic rights in Hong Kong and in Taiwan, and number five, they, they cause this pandemic. If they had been transparent, we would have been way ahead of the game here, and we would have hopefully had to shut down the economy like we did. So I hope what everybody everybody says to themselves is is one: if you're going to buy buy from China, you know you ought to really think long and hard. The other thing is, I think I think the other, the other thing we have to do right now is say we need to buy American products. We want Americans. If we want Americans to have the money to travel and be tourists in our state, then we need to have more American jobs. And so everything we can buy from America, rather than from any place else in the world, we should buy from America. And number two is we have got to figure out how to be, we've got to be way more productive to compete because we're, every country is now, there is no question we are competing for jobs. You know, we'll continue to have a lot of people come from out around the world to come and visit our great states. But the lion's share is going to be that people have jobs and are successful in the United States. The statewide lockdown for COVID-19 means most people are stuck at home. And Palm Beach County Congresswoman Lois Frankel says that's especially dangerous for victims of domestic violence. What appears to be a new public health crisis that is mounting along with, of course, the, the coronavirus pandemic, and that is the increase of domestic violence cases. We know life has changed for just about everybody. If you're not an essential worker, you're staying at home. We also know when there is extra stress in life, especially economic stress, we know that that exaggerates the number of people who are feeling in crisis and potentially increasing domestic violence. And so people are now basically prisoners in their own home with their abusers. Pam O'Brien runs a shelter in Palm Beach County called AVDA, that's Aid to Victims of Domestic Abuse. This is a time of critical importance for survivors because they are stuck at home with a dangerous person and it is highly likely that they are experiencing domestic abuse. 
this is a time for you really to help your neighbor. If you hear something, go ahead, make that call to 911. You may be saving a life. We encourage survivors, maybe take a look at the options that are available. There is a statewide hotline number that if you call that, it will connect you with the center that is closest to you. And that number is 800-500-1119. Now that operates 24 seven. Um, I know we at AFTA are in touch on a daily basis with the other centers around the states. So we know who has space available. Most of us do have space available. We are uh, seeing that our hotline calls are not going up, even though we do know that um, the domestic violence crimes appear to be up. And that is perhaps an indicator that survivors don't feel safe enough to call. So this is where the community can be a big help and be very attentive to signs and trust your judgment and trust, trust your instincts. If you think there's something going on, there probably is. The phone number she gave you used to be manned by the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence, which lost its contract with the state after the former director was accused of paying herself more than $7 million over a three-year period. But O'Brien says the hotline is still working now because the Department of Children and Families took over. I'm happy to say that um, those of us on the front line running the centers, everything is flowing beautifully. The control is now in the hands of the Department of Children and Family Services, and they used to administer the money before the coalition did. So it, it's it's working, which is great. It's been a challenge to have to deal with um, the media concerns about that, but um, to funders, but uh, but it really is working fine. The money is flowing, and I believe that um, DCF has hired most of the staff from the coalition, but not any of the staff that are subject to investigation. The courts may be shut down, but not if you're a victim of domestic violence. Florida's court clerks want you to know that protective injunctions, including domestic violence injunctions or restraining orders, are an essential service and remain available to the public even now. If you are in need of help in a domestic abuse situation, contact your local clerk to find out how they can serve you. Next up, a deep dive with State Representative Chevron Jones and Joe Biden on America's response to coronavirus. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. Welcome back to Sunrise. State Representative Chevron Jones goes to bat for Joe Biden, hosting a virtual town hall meeting with the Democratic presidential candidate and former vice president. The subject, protecting all those workers who have been declared as essential and are risking their lives every day to keep things rolling while the rest of us are staying at home. Uh, I'm from Florida and I represent the 101st district in the Florida House. And I'll be very frank that Florida, we're not in a good shape. Uh, we have a leadership that took weeks to issue a shelter in place order after you and many other Democrats urged uh, him to do so. We have Senator Rick Scott and other Republicans who created an unemployment system designed to be so difficult that people would stop pursuing the benefits. My constituents are on the phone for eight hours a day. Even if they are eligible for benefits, it could be weeks or months. Meanwhile, uh, those people can't pay for base basic needs. People can't pay their rents. We're hosting food distributions as thousands of people line up for free food. And my constituents are choosing between paying for food, paying their utilities, or paying for insulin. And that's why we need this conversation centering around the frontline workers, which are the people who are physically vulnerable to contracting this virus and economically vulnerable as well. 
The fact of the matter is that many communities of color do not have the wealth or luxury to stay home. They have to continue working just to keep food on their table and a roof over their head. And at the same time, they have to put their health and lives on the line by coming in contact with others. Biden spent most of his time praising the grocery store workers, bus drivers, and others performing what are now classified as essential services. And he says they deserve the civilian equivalent of combat pay. Congress provided two weeks of emergency paid leave in this most recent relief bill, but left out millions of workers, including those at big supermarket chains and companies like Amazon, Walmart, and Target. We need more. I've called for up to 12 weeks of paid sick leave, paid family leave, and medical leave for every worker. And finally, premium pay is no substitute for personal protective equipment and worker safety, but we have to do much more to support the millions of brave workers who've stayed on the job, keeping our country going. I support a $25,000, we call it, the, the, the Democrats in the Senate call it the pandemic premium pay. That's an increased $25,000 for essential frontline workers that Senate Democrats have proposed. It's important, it's necessary, and that's above and beyond every other benefit that exists. You deserve that premium pay. It's like combat pay. You deserve it, and it's necessary to make sure you're going to be whole at the end of this. Biden closed the one-hour virtual meeting by saying Donald Trump's foot-dragging during the COVID-19 crisis is intolerable. You know, he's not responsible for the coronavirus, but he bears significant responsibility for the federal government's responding, the way it's responding. And it's painfully and increasingly clear that all he seems to do, he's unwilling to take responsibility. He said, no, that's not my fault. I don't take responsibility for any mistake he's made. He seems only focused on the politics of this, and he's not prioritizing workers. And he should stop talking about what he thinks and let the scientists speak. You know, he's still not using all the authority he has under the federal law to make sure that healthcare workers and the frontline workers like the people on this round table are getting the equipment, supplies they need. He's not directing OSHA to do everything it can and should to protect workers from infectious disease and be in the workplace to check it out. He's not doing enough to help governors and mayors who are leading this response. He's not bringing this country together. He, 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 likes, he likes to say he's the wartime president. Well, he needs to be able to step up and act like one. Not harangue the press for hours on end while people are dying, your friends and coworkers are dying, our family members and friends and neighbors are dying, while Trump is having a temper tantrums about his authority over whether he wants, whatever he wants as president. He said, he's the boss. Well, we've heard him offer, have we heard him offer anything that approaches a sincere expression of empathy for the people that, who are hurting? Have we seen any sign that he grasped just how hard it will be for people to recover from this, not just economically, but physically and emotionally as well? I don't think this is appropriate conduct for president. Your calendar of events begins with the Florida Defense Support Task Force, which works to protect and expand the state's military installations. They're holding a conference call at 9. The Northwest Florida Water Management District is holding a conference call about land acquisition in Wakulla County at 10. The Florida Supreme Court releases its weekly opinions at 11. And the University of South Florida Board of Trustees meets at noon to consider approval of a university accountability plan. And finally, it's time for the continuing adventures of Florida Man. 
The Highlands County Sheriff's Office says a Florida man threatened to shoot up a grocery store because not enough people were wearing masks. Investigators say 62-year-old Robert Cover took to social media to express his frustration over the lack of mask wearers at a Publix in Sebring and threatened a mass shooting. Kovner is charged with making a written threat of a mass shooting, which is a second-degree felony. Bail is set at $30,000. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.